Welcome to the Sancial Podcast, where we host interviews with the most transformational nurse scientists, innovators, entrepreneurs, and leaders. Through sharing their personal journeys, we create inspiration, provide guidance, and give you actionable ideas you can use to be a catalyst for change. Welcome back to the Sancial podcast. I'm so happy you're joining us today because I think we will be discussing a very important topic. And that is for our new graduate nurses, how do we hire them, but then retain them? Lots of people around the country are doing lots of work around transition to practice. I have today with me Jen Curran, who I'm thrilled to have and test her knowledge on all of this. She runs the transition to practice at Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston. Jen, welcome. Would you love to introduce yourself? Yeah, thank you for having me today. I'd love to introduce myself. So my name is Jen Karen, like Ian said. I am the program director of the transition to practice program at Mass General Hospital. I have been at Mass General Hospital for many years. I myself came as a new grad many years ago and have worked primarily in pediatric intensive care and the neonatal intensive care team before taking on this role. Thank you, Jen. So I always like to ask our presenters what made them want to go into nursing in the first place. Can you tell us your story? Sure, I will. It's actually kind of funny. When I was in high school, I decided between two careers. One was a nursing and one was a music teacher. And got into colleges with both programs and then just decided I thought I'd make more money being a nurse. And I had been working as a nurse's aide in different nursing homes through high school and did enjoy it. And now I laugh because I can't imagine ever being anything else. I, my passion has become, to nursing has become invaluable to me and I love what I do. And I share with many other young people or even people who are maybe second career about thinking about nursing to go into it, that it's so rewarding But in many different ways, there's so many avenues that you could take these days into nursing besides being a nurse at the bedside, which was I was before this for 26 years, and I loved every minute of it. So it was a funny path getting here and go, well, I'll flip a coin and kind of see, but I have turned out that it was the best thing for me, and I love being a nurse. Yes, I've noticed a lot of second career nurses myself, but I'm really interested. So what type of music were you getting into? Well, I played French on the piano and I did vocals. So I was looking at probably music education, music teacher. And here I am now as a nurse educator. So came full circle and did a little bit of both. Yes. And I think that artistic part of your brain, in my opinion, makes you a lot more creative as well. Yeah. Some days. I would agree. Some days. days not so much, but yes. Yeah. So I tell us a little bit about the transition to practice at Mass General. Certainly. I'd love to. So it really started out as a nurse residency program, which it was called about 22 years ago, maybe. Initially started out with this critical care area. We were opening up a brand new critical care unit here to kind of be an overflow of ICU. So you might have some medicine, you might have some surgery, you might have some trauma. And it really was the brainstorm of the CNO at the time and other people around here to use new graduates for that. And they came and they worked, their onboarding was about six months and they were on different ICUs and then came to work in this brand new ICU. And it was 
very innovative at that time. They also had nurse practitioners running the unit instead of all physicians. And so that kind of started, it kept on, and then it grew into the other ICUs here at Mesher because we have about 10 ICUs. So it started growing, first the MICU and then the cardiac SICU, and then so it really blossomed. And then about 2011, I'd say, we started same type of residency in oncology on our inpatient oncology unit. And it stayed that for a while. And 2019, we decided to become accredited and work towards that accreditation through ANCC. And I'll never forget, sent our application in March of 2020. We had a virtual visit, which was happening right with COVID, which exploding around here in the country, but especially in the Northeast. And we had our virtual visit with a lot of people in the room with no masks. And I remember CNO, Dr. Debbie Burke, saying afterwards, she was so worried because we were all in the room together. And she thought, I'm going to take out a whole bunch of critical care nurses and oncology nurses. But we didn't. None of us actually got COVID, which was a nice blessing. But we received word for about four weeks later that we were accredited and we were the first in the country to be accredited with the new standards of 2020 with distinction. Prior to that, the distinction was made on subjective and now it was really, you had to answer the standards. So we were happy about that. And as we got that, we really started thinking that every new graduate nurse coming into the hospital should be part of this program. It wasn't really right that only selected areas did. So we started growing that and that next cohort. So that was in 2021 was included some different specialty areas. It was about 43 nurse residents. And now every new nurse, we have currently 387 nurse residents in different cohorts at Mass General right now. Wow, that's amazing. I want to go back a little bit and tell me the rationale behind the nurse residency. And with any innovative program, it sounds like you've also pivoted now and built upon it, which is great. But let's go back and talk about what the rationale was initially for the nurse resident. I think what happened, like I said, what that happened was critical care and the other critical care areas started to notice that, well, you can take new graduates into this because for many years it was, well, you have to have experience before you come into the ICU. And we really... Once we opened that brand new ICU here, it really became evident that you can have new grads in different areas. And more ICU in the hospital here decided to try that. And so it really grew. And then the oncology, I think that we might have been expanding our oncology and patient units and were opening one. And they thought they could use maybe not all new grads, but a fair amount of them. So that residency blossom. And again, I think it's just that it's caught on with other units, general care units, labor and delivery, things like, wow, this seems like it's working. And if you look at the statistics throughout the country, program, hospitals with nurse residency programs have better retention rates. And that's what was really the driving force for us too, was we can get them in there as new grads, but they're leaving because then statistically it showed within the first year of the country, Nurses were leaving, brand new nurses within one year because of they weren't getting the support that really they required to make that transition from a student to a registered nurse. So that was a driving point too. How can we get these nurses in here, but how can we get them to stay? So we decided to make the further program and we, I'm glad, happy to say here, have statistics for retention three years old that are still higher than the national benchmark. That's amazing. I was just about to ask if there were any metrics and stuff. So I remember very vividly how scary it was transitioning from a student to real life, what I call real life, and without the support and without the mentorship. Now, 
first of all, do you try to sort of balance how many new grads per unit versus how many experienced people remain on the floor to be their sort of resource person? Is that thought given or how do you determine how many new grads you can put on a unit? That's done actually at the unit level, but I can tell you overall, the feeling here is they don't want to take too many because of that. You really want some experience nurses, but as COVID has happened and we have not just a mass general, but as a country looked at many nurses leaving the profession or retiring, it's hard to sometimes have enough experienced nurses on a unit for these new nurses to come. And on some units here where they've had a large number of new newly licensed and newly graduated nurses coming in, the nurse directors have gotten very creative in the CNSs here about how to onboard them. We typically use the one-on-one preceptive model. We really have, with some of these units, have had seven or eight new graduates coming on together in one cohort. They've done what a different little type of model where it's kind of what they call a faculty model or a lot of places you and name it other things. But basically for the first three weeks, say, of onboarding, then with one in kind of clinical preceptor or almost like the instructor, clinical instructor from school, where they will be with that one person, maybe four or five of them, and they'll go over how to do past medication and document on four patients each. And that person's there to help them. And that's all they concentrate on that day. The next day might be concentrating on the head-to-toe assessment. The next day on something else. So by, by the time they actually go with the one-on-one preceptor, they have some skills behind them. And more importantly, they have some confidence behind them so that they're able to hit the ground running with that preceptor and be a little ahead of the game than usual. And it's also a lot less stressful on the preceptor. So some of the units here have done that that have had a bigger amount of residents coming in at one point in time. Yeah, interesting because I remember being on the unit when the new grads came on and I was trying to make them feel comfortable and say hello to them and they wouldn't even maintain eye contact. And then when they graduated a year later, the confidence was amazing to me, was really transformational. And so I get what you say when it's they build their confidence. Can you describe what happens within the year of their transition? So you talk about preceptorship, but is there mentorship? Is there debriefings and all of that? If you can really go into the details of the program. Sure. So the program here is 12 months long. The precepted time really depends on the specialty, but it runs anywhere from 12 to 26 weeks. And that is done up on the unit level. They do come back. They so also have individual specialty classes. Like for instance, general medicine has classes, skills and classes for them, general surgery, the critical care area, labor delivery. But they also come back once a month to what I call the TPP class. And that's where they all come together, although sometimes we're split up into smaller groups. It's what every new nurse, come new grad, newly graduated nurse coming into this organization needs to know, regardless of where you were. And really, there's a couple of pillars. One, professional development. One is scholarly project work, work. And one is safety, quality and safety. And so we cover those over the 12 months, all those different topics. It might be one from each category on a month, or it might be more professional development for that month. And they come back, it's about four, four and a half hours, and we have some classes, and then we have an hour of debriefing time every month. And we have found success in having about one debriefer or facilitator per about 12 residents. And 
it's we tell them from the get-go it's a safe space that they can talk about anything they want we aren't running back to their nurse nursing leadership to tell them what's going on unless we feel it's something that is is significant and I, I say that I'm afraid that something you might harm yourself or harm somebody else and we tell them like if we were going to go back to their nursing leadership we will say to them I'm concerned I really think we should bring in your nurse director or your CNS to talk about this but most of the time we coach them and try to coach on different scenarios on what they can try to do. And it's also great because I think that the briefing sessions are fabulous and they'll tell you that's part of the best part of the program because they're sitting with other people. They get to know other people, first of all, from other areas of the hospital that they may not meet. And they get to realize that they're not the only one experiencing this and not only in their unit, but in their for instance, I have an end up briefing group. I have maybe a couple of critical care nurses. I have an ED nurse. I have a labor and delivery nurse. I have a general medicine nurse. And they all get to see that even though the units are different and it's different specialty, they're all sometimes feeling the same thing or that same stress or the same, what I call pre-assignment anxiety, where they're thinking about when they're coming in and they're anxious about, oh my gosh, what kind of assignment am I going to have today? And I think that helps them a lot to know that they're not only feeling that way. And it's not just maybe another two residents of their unit. So they think maybe it's just their unit. And so I think that it's a huge integral part of the program that we don't have when we didn't have a residency program. And they enjoy it immensely. And like I said, I look at my evaluations every month and at the end of the program and that debriefing is held so highly and they love it. Well, I can imagine, obviously, they feel very safe. But what if, can you give us some examples of things that come up in the debriefing? Are they so, are they feeling unsafe? Is there people across the country talk about bullying? And if they do bring that up, are there resources that you can give them? Yeah, so you know, they talk a lot. Sometimes it's a little hard and then one person will, one person will jump up. Well, I just met with residents yesterday and one of them said that she made her first med error. And we spent a lot of time about talking about that and come to find out there were two or three others in that round table that we were talking with that said, oh, I've made a med error. I already made a med error. And so I think it gives them some comfort to know, again, they're not the only one. Like, oh, okay. Not that everybody makes a med error during their first year, but it's not uncommon. And I think the great thing when we were talking yesterday was what that they all felt they learned from it and that thankfully nothing that wasn't a huge problem to the patient which is the number one concern when they do that. They say, no, I'm not, I'm afraid I'm going to harm the patient. And I didn't intend to that. And we talk about that. And we talk about what's the plan of place now going forward. How do you feel about that? Was it, is it a systems issue? Not necessarily the nurse's fault, but a couple other departments may have made a mistake too, or is the policy unclear? We talk about that. And we always, yeah, give them resources. Typically in the last year or two, what I say too, is a lot of the residents, and not just here, I know it's countrywide, are having a lot of stress about the environment they're working in. It's healthcare right now is so in turmoil and still recovering from COVID and it's affected them some. And we always come back to that we have luckily here, EAP, and we refer a lot of them to EAP if they want to, and they'll come back and say it was very helpful. We also have three different times the wellness people here at MGH come and talk to them and review things with them. And they really appreciate that because they feel like it gives them, they learn more and more each time about resources. I have residents that come to me individually. We'll talk about that one-on-one and I give them the resources that we have. So it's a big part of the program. Again, that big support. And I think that's what's missing a lot when there's not a nurse residency is we can 
teach a newly licensed nurse the skills they need and the knowledge that they need. But that whole support, that whole, not only from the organization, but the support from the nurses in the unit and the support from other residents plays such a crucial role in developing the new nurse and helping them in that transitional period. We also have a mentor program here. At six months, they receive a mentor. A lot of the PAP already have mentors or we encourage them. Who would you like? What are you looking for? We do have mentors here who volunteer, but I try to ask the residents to find somebody on their own because I feel like that's more of them that they'll value more if they pick and feel like they have the same personalities, learning styles, things like that. Sure, and it's been pretty yeah. successful with that. And again, that's something else I think they value because that's something that they can go to after their onboarding's done and still talk about problems that they're having. Got it. So it goes extends beyond the 12 months. Yes. Yes. So, and you've been doing this now, obviously, for some time. What do you think is the magic number or amount of time to transition the new grads to practice? Do you feel like your program meets that need or do you think it should be longer? Can you speak to that? Sure. I think 12 months is great. I think six months is too short. I think 12 months is good, although they do say to me, they miss the debriefings and they would still like for the next year, not every month, but maybe every three or four times a year to come back and meet and debrief. And that's something that I would love to do. And we have looked at the possibility of it. And that is on my strategic plan to try to do, because I do think it is interesting that they're still running in new issues. They're still, their confidence, even though it's much, much better than when they first started, is still sometimes lacking in what they do. So they do look to that. And many of them have told me that they continue to meet outside, outside the hospital. They'll have a night where they'll go out and meet for dinner or whatnot and talk. And it's really nice to see. And they're not always in the same units. I mean, friendships have been during those debriefing sessions with people in other units of just the one that they work in. Yeah, that's great to hear. And from your experience, is there a lot of variability with the transition to practice programs when they're implemented across the country at other institutions? I think maybe it's difficult. Everybody has their own way. What I love about being accredited is that I know that the residents in this program here are getting the same program that another accredited program is. Now, may it all be made, be taught differently, maybe less didactic, more simulation or vice versa, but because we have to meet these standards, I know that like a hospital in California who's accredited, they're meeting the same standards that I am. So those residents are getting the same experience, which is nice to know, I think. And it helps, I think, me as a program director know that I'm meeting most of the needs of the, because it's standardized. It's But there's also ability to individualize too. But Right. These are the based on evidence-based practice, and these are the best practices out there for residents. So it helps, I think, a lot to know that. That's good. So you really advocate for credentialing through the- I do, and, I'm, and I get no kickback from the ANCC, yes. I swear. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> so can you speak to your metrics? So tell us what the retention rate is. Do you study them after two years, three years? What's What are the metrics you use? Yes, we uh, right now we're currently studying about one year, two years, three years, although we've just been discussing even trying to follow at five, the five-year mark. So that's something that I think we're going to start. But our metrics are really above. I'd say at the one-year mark, we're 97.5%, the two-year mark, 100%, and the three-year mark, I think we we're at 85%. Wow. The ones that, yeah, it's nice. And most of the ones at the three-year mark that we're, that are leaving, 
the organization are because they were, they finished school. They've gone back to school and they've now been an NP, so they're going somewhere else. There are some also who are leaving because of relocations. They're now either getting married and moving somewhere else with their spouse. So things like that. But it is great to see their retention numbers as high as they are. It makes me feel that the program is successful, but also that the organization supports it. And that's another thing I really want to say. You have got to get have buy-in and support from all the stakeholders involved in the program, or it's going to be a difficult task to complete. Yes, it sounds that way. So interestingly, I know there's a lot of chatter, especially around social media, that a negative spin on why the new grads are leaving. But from your experience, at least in your institution, it sounds like that there there's some real reasons for leaving, such as marriage, relocation, increasing their education, et cetera. So, which makes me feel a little bit better. I'm sure it's not that way across the country, but I think this is a really, really good first step for institutions to really think. So Jen, what is the one thing that you would like to leave our audience with today? And if people wanted to reach out to you, what would be the best way? So the one thing I would like to say is I think that, and I have learned and continue to learn how to be adaptive to the environment and how to be adaptive to the set of coming in. They all learn differently than how I learned. And we're trying to adapt our program to that, taking the information and how can we, they don't want all day classes. They don't want people talking to them. So we're trying to be along with everywhere else in the country, more changing our program or our didactic part of the program to make it more engaging. So we're working on that. And that's one thing I would say, because I think it's very easy for residents to get tuned out if we're still continually teaching the same way that we always did. So I think it's something, like I said, we are working on constantly and looking at the evaluations and trying to to fix that. So being adaptive and responsive to what they need and what are they, because from even from, I look at the the residents that came in during the 2020 COVID surges, that was different from what is coming in today as new graduates and what they need, but how to present that. So I would say that's probably my biggest piece of advice. And I am always happy and open to talking about this to anyone. They can always reach me at my email, which is the letter J, current, C-U-R-A-N, three, at partners.org. Thank you, Jen. I just really want to drive the point home about being adaptive because that's exactly what we do in innovation. It's human-centered design. And you think about who you're trying to solve the problem for or the solution you're coming up with and really understanding them in order to make an impactful solution. So I want to thank you very much. It sounds very impressive. And I really encourage our audience to reach out to Jen to learn more about the program. So thank you all. And thank you, Jen, so much. Thank you for having me. Thanks for tuning in to the Sancial podcast. If today's podcast inspired you, we invite you to join our tribe or support our mission by visiting us at sancial.org. That's S-O-N-S-I-E-L.org.